0: Welcome to the Zora Talks Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Jordan Buckner, who has been recognized by Forbes 30 under 30, and he recently embarked on his new venture, foodbevy.com, which he founded in April of 2020. So Jordan, the foodbevy.com website has a value proposition on the very first page and that says we launch food and beverage brands. Can you tell us a little bit about what prompted you to launch this business in the midst of covid?
1: Thanks so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. So Exactly like you said, with Food Bevy, my whole goal is to be a resource and launch pad for anyone with a natural food or beverage product to really help them be successful. And really saw this as a need over the past eight years that I've been in the food and beverage industry of founders starting out, trying to build their product and encountering the same obstacles that, frankly, every other founder faces, but their experience is like they're going through it for the first time and no one's there to help them. There are a series of kind of disparate incubators and accelerators that exist, but honestly, most founders go to Google when they're searching for anything related to their business. And so i built food bevy really to be a hub for all the documents information resources connections that you could need as an early stage founder so that you could really use those tools to focus on growing your business i started the company and really launched in april but i've been in 2020 but i've been doing this work for years now you know just from having my own company t squares i was constantly talking to other founders who were saying hey, Jordan, do you know how to get into Whole Foods and the buyer there? Or, hey, Jordan, I'm looking for contract manufacturers. Who's a good person to work with or who should I stay away from? And I was giving all these kind of personal recommendations, which are great. But that's when I recognized there's a greater need that founders were looking for this community of other founders to really get help and information for. And so that's when I started food bevy. And it's been a crazy kind of great journey. So far, we now have over 600 founders of food and beverage companies on our platform, and over 3000 industry partners as well.
0: Oh, wow, in such a short time, you really made some traction.
1: We did, and that really speaks to the the need out here for for both founders and for the partners that we work with.
0: Okay. And so by the way, you've been an entrepreneur since twenty fifteen. I think you just mentioned that you've been in the space for a while. What sparked your interest in the first place to be an entrepreneur?
1: So I've actually been an entrepreneur since birth, almost. Both of my parents are entrepreneurs, uh, my mom and my dad, and so I grew up in a very entrepreneurial environment. And so th- it was just genetic. I say I had no other choice but to, to work and build my own business. But you know, so much of it came from, uh, you know, watching my my parents just navigate through the world and figure out how to build products and services that were helping make the world a better place. You know, my mom was always into sales and worked a variety of sales jobs. You know, she was selling like Tupperware when we were younger and throwing Tupperware parties all the way to now, she runs a catering company uh, based in Chicago. You know, my dad is a dentist by trade but helped to found a bank in Chicago, one of the first kind of Black-owned banks in Chicago years ago, a grocery store, a travel agency, a radio station. And so it was just kind of in my, in my blood to do so.
0: Wow. And uh, I also saw that you were raised on the South side of Chicago. So what impact has that had on you in general and as an entrepreneur?
1: a great impact. You know, I'm very proud that I was born and raised on the south side of Chicago um, and had a variety of life experiences that really shaped me, right? So I lived in a neighborhood that was like 99% black. And I went to school, you know, I was luckily enough to go to a school that was a private um, school in Chicago, but it was probably like, you know, 85% white. And so I had to learn how to navigate these spaces, kind of going from one neighborhood to my school every day and seeing a diversity of experiences, diversity of relationships, and understanding how to, to relate to everyone that I grew up with. And so it was very interesting in just shaping how I viewed the world, how I saw people and the commonalities that everyone has together. And that really led me to having this perspective where I could ask questions. I could um, look at you know things that might've considered been considered like traditions and understand that there's always a different viewpoint and there's always another way of seeing the world.
0: Yeah, that's a, that's a great bra- background. I actually grew up in Detroit, and it's it's like uh, probably like 90% Black where I lived for sure. Well, actually, it was probably like 100% Black. <laughs> yeah. So it's very good experience, I think, to be able to have that diverse background. We relate to both types of, you know, different types of um, demographics. I didn't really get that until I went to college. Um, and by the way, I, I see that we went to the same college, University of Michigan. Yeah, go blue. Um, go blue. <laughs> I know. Uh, yeah, so it's such a great experience to have, and I know it served you well. So, in line with that, what lessons as an entrepreneur have you been able to bring into your businesses, and especially this business?
1: Yeah, so I think the most important thing for me over the last year was really reflecting on my personal why. You know, my entire life, I was always looking at the world in terms of understanding what problems were out there and existing what could be solved. And that led me to create a variety of businesses, you know, from my, I had like a t-shirt business going into college and, um, you know, tea, and had a meal kit delivery company, kind of like a blue apron or plated, transitioned them into T-squares. And all along the way, I was really kind of finding my footing and understanding why, I was doing the things i could do and how to make an impact in the world and i talk about this with my wife all the time is the importance of having a personal mission statement which are the the vision for your own life and how you go about doing things and as it relates to business i realized for me that i love building i love building either you know products or services doesn't really matter but doing so in a way that um, improves people's lives and actually has like a real impact on on people that I can see and know and know their names, but also doing so in a way that helps to um, educate and mentor others along the way. And so, you know, last year with the pandemic, I was really reflecting on how can I best live out my, my values and my mission statement. And that's where Food Bevy came along to say, hey, I can actually you know, have years of experience working and building a CPG product that I can use to help other founders um, so that they don't have to experience the same hardships that I had to go through and then also build a community around it so that we could all teach and give back to one another and build a thriving um, environment for one another.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. And so you mentioned T Squares. What is going on with T Squares right now?
1: Yeah. So, you know, T-Squares were a lot of superfood energy bars. And one thing that we learned with that product was they, you know, we were kind of new, it was a new subcategory that we were building in the industry. You know, some people eat protein bars and our whole thesis was that there's a need for um, energy bars for mental energy instead of just physical energy since everyone's kind of sitting at a desk all day long. Um, And what we actually found was that the channel that we sold best in was in corporate offices, and so places like WeWork spaces, we had clients including LinkedIn and um, PayPal and all these other kind of large startup offices, and it was going great. So, leading into 2020, you know, probably about 80 percent of all of our business was selling to corporate offices, and we just brought on a bunch of new clients, and then the pandemic happened. And so, with that, you know, every office across every sector pretty much shut down, not just in the U.S. but around the entire world. And so, we saw our business model just completely get disrupted. And so, you know, we did some work on on e-commerce and selling there, but you know, at the time, just energy bars as well was not a thriving kind of category. And so, we ended up and currently now kind of spinning our operations, taking another look at how we can. Um, relaunch or, or give back from here and then kind of in the meantime in the downtime that's where I've been focusing my energy on um, food bevy and then also um, home with uh, my one and a half year old daughter as well
0: yeah. okay so you pivoted in both in personal and professional life uh, and it's a sign of a true entrepreneur so I commend you on that to really take advantage of this opportunity to get back no so- I appreciate it yeah you, do you think you're going to um, get started back with Fuvey now that people are slowly going back into the office?
1: So I think on the T Square side, we're still evaluating what that looks like um, and if you know how that product has has legs in the market. So to be determined on that. Um, and then you know, right now, I think one thing that every entrepreneur faces is a series of of roller coasters every day, right? In terms of high highs and low lows and figuring out where you are along that path. And so it's important to kind of reflect on the journey in terms of you know are you living your, your values and your mission and where do you go from there? And you know, I've been I think you know for food or for T-squares it was like a great business and um, a really great kind of product and team that we built. Unfortunately, the market just completely changed, and so uh, we had to take another look at our business. So, still looking at that right now. I think there's still potential, but you know, I'll let you know once once we decide how we move forward with that.
0: Okay, yeah, but you you have a great, um, you got some paths and some options I sometimes I like to call it champagne problems. Mm-hmm. But you are right now deep into getting uh, food off the ground. We mm-hmm. already have a lot of people signed up. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the companies you're working with
1: right now? Yeah, so my whole goal with FoodBevy is to be accessible to everyone. But one of the focus areas I have is working with minority and women-owned founders because historically and now, currently, they still face the largest resource and network gaps. So resource gap, meaning access to to tools, to money, to kind of the, the nuts and bolts of building a business where when you're entering into the industry, you don't know what you don't know. And so there's a huge learning curve. And then access to networks because there's, in order to be successful, you can't build a business on your own, especially in the food space. You're reliant on contract manufacturers, on retail buyers, and the like, and everyone in between, investors. And so I help to facilitate introductions to those partners as well, who can really help drive those businesses forward. So, you know, the main tools that we have at our disposal. We have a industry directory that's now I think it's now over like 3,500 providers. I have to check our number. Everyone from you know whole foods buyers to manufacturers, investors, PR contacts, marketing agencies, people that can really help build your business. And then we also have curated lists within there on who could best work for for partners. And so, for instance, you know there's a a great company that we work with called Pat's Granola, based in Cleveland. And the founder, Pat, is a like wonderful entrepreneur. She started this business kind of after her main career and is really growing this great granola product. And we've been able to do things like introduce her to a partner called The Hub, which does freelance photography work for really great pricing. And we're able to get her a $1,000 photo shoot, right? So we've been able to save her $1,000 and help her generate great kind of photos that can really push for her business there and so i think that's been really helpful and also providing introductions to like packaging design companies for brands who are just getting started so that they can have a really great presence on show
0: okay and so is the directory behind a gated membership do you have to have a membership to access that
1: We do have a membership just to help support the platform but try to make it super affordable for founders so for any kind of food and beverage founder it's just 360 dollars for the year to get on the platform that gets access to everything and all of our resources Um, and then for any kind of partners think like marketing agencies or consultancies that are interested in working with our founders there's a membership fee for them as well but my whole my whole job, I kind of see, is facilitating those great connections between founders and the right partner who's going to be a good fit for their business.
0: Okay. In terms of what you're doing now, are there any initiatives that you have gone going on? I did see that you have launched the um, Good Food Boxes. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that box and what else is going on other than what you already talked about at Food Becky?
1: Yeah, so... One of the things I'm talking to founders that I recognize is a lot of them said, Hey, Jordan, like these resources are really great. I'm using them to build my business. But what I really need is getting my product into the hands and mouths of more customers. And so that led to the creation of good food brands and our subscription kind of discovery boxes where each quarter we highlight great entrepreneurs, um, diverse founders around certain themes and help them get exposure to new customers. So our current box that we have is for May is celebrating Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month. And so we're featuring eight great um, Asian founders in our boxes. And those are available at goodfoodbrands.org. And it's really designed for consumers who you know are health- interested in products that are good for your taste buds, good for your health, and good for your community. Um, so you can try them and meet really great founders to support. One of the challenges with founders just starting out is that if you're based in Chicago, you might not be able to get your products into the grocery stores in California and Texas and New York. And so by having our discovery box, people across the entire country can find really great snacks that might be local to a certain area and be able to buy and support those brands. And then the ones that they like, they can go back and you know order more directly from the brand themselves. And so in that way, we're helping both kind of consumers find really great products that are unique and different and great. And then we're also helping the founders get much needed exposure.
0: Yeah, I was looking at the box and I saw some products that I really wanted to try. How would our listeners sign up for the boxes? Do they just go to your website?
1: You can just go to goodfoodbrands.org and you can buy either a single box or sign up for our quarterly subscription. And then once you order those, they'll get shipped right out to your home. You can try everything out. And a unique thing that we do as well, we're very focused on the stories behind the founders and the products themselves. So you can actually learn about the person or people behind each of the brands that you're supporting.
0: Yeah, I, I, I saw some cookies that I wanted to try in one of your one of your last boxes. So I'm definitely going to have to uh, subscribe and get access to these products because they're not necessarily, were you saying they're not necessarily available in
1: a local a local store like a whole foods right so most of them there there are some of them like um in february feature one of our partners partake foods and they've been growing rapidly they're available in um whole foods and target and now in trader joe's as well Uh, but then we also have um, other companies like in this box uh teens jackfruit chips which they're just launching they're available online in a couple like I think under a dozen kind of stores right now. And so unless you're in their kind of local area, you can't get your hands on them. You might not even know about them because they're just not they're not doing any advertising or any kind of promotion, um, but they're a really great product that you should know.
0: Yeah, what a great opportunity to get access to these little niche and little known products. So I'm definitely gonna check it out. I'm sure our listeners will too. Um, I guess the question that kept nagging me is, I hear about a lot of food incubators or incubators in general, um, did you just feel like there, there was still that gap out there, um, for, especially for minority women founders? Is that why you founded too Bevy?
1: I do. And I think about it more in terms of supplemental resources for every kind of founder. You know, through my journey with T Squares, I went through multiple incubators and accelerators myself. I went through, there's one called the Good Food Accelerator based in Chicago. I went through Chobani Yogurt's Incubator Program, and those are incredible resources. One of the difficulties though is they're very much kind of hands-on and small group learning, and they only have room to accept up to you know eight or nine companies for each cohort. And so the scope and scale of their impact is really focused on a couple select brands. And so what I want to do with Food Bevy is make a resource that was easily accessible for everyone right, whether you were just starting or you were kind of further along on your journey um, to provide a resource that you can jump in and access. Our platform is more of a DIY model where we don't have set cohorts or programs that you learn from, more so for the entrepreneurs who have their kind of basic product figured out at least, they're selling in stores, and they're looking to take their business to the next level. And so they kind of know what to do, but we provide the information on how to actually do it. We provide kind of contact information. We have really detailed webinars um, and a lot of other great information so that they can take actionable and practical steps to grow their business.
0: Okay. And so uh, it's a DUI, a do-it-yourself um, platform, um, but you did mention it's a community. So are there opportunities for the community members to interact with each other and ask questions amongst themselves?
1: Yeah, there are. So we also have a community group that's available so that every founder can jump on and ask questions. So, you know, the other day we had someone asking about where they could find a certain type of packaging and we had other founders jump into the conversation and say, Hey, this is what we use. This is a brand that we can recommend. And then we also invite our like packaging supplier partners on the platform as well, so that they can share their expertise because they live this world day in and day out and can really talk about the pros and cons of that for, for business. We've been able to help a founder like avoid using a super kind of form structure, unique product or packaging, because there were a few manufacturers that could actually use that on an automated line. And so if they would have bought that product to move that direction, they would have had a much more difficult time once they kind of scaled up to a contract manufacturer. And so it's those type of learnings and knowledge that we're able to easily share, right? Because a founder, someone else can say like, hey, we went through that problem, this is the issue that happened. And they can say that in like two seconds or two sentences, but for a founder that can save them $30,000 and a lot of headache.
0: Yeah, that's that's a great opportunity because I'm part of a accelerator right now. And the best part about it is just to be able to commiserate and, and, and also celebrate. <laughs> with other entrepreneurs and then also to learn from them. So I'm sure that that's a definite plus um, and I'm sure that the community members are definitely value it. So um, moving to a different line of thought or a different train of questions, I wanted to ask you, what do you see as happening in the food and beverage space? What are some trends that you see going on that people should know about?
1: I think a couple of areas. One, with the pandemic, there it created a lot of opportunity for entrepreneurs to start a business in and without the food industry and so we actually see an influx of new businesses getting started Um, some of them because you know people unfortunately lost their jobs or their careers and had to kind of pivot to making something else and then others where people maybe had a well-going career but weren't happy and were able to leave that job and have the funds and resources to, to start a business. I think with that, one of the challenges has been the accessibility for funding. And so, you know, even going back two years ago, there were a lot of investors and both angel investors and venture capitalists who were investing in food and beverage and taking more risks. What happened in the last year is that it really put a lot of, the pandemic put strain on Companies' business models. Some food companies are doing really well, others are kind of having challenges. And there's a lot, there's still money out there, but it's being concentrated on very, very high growth categories, things like alternative meats and alternative seafoods or e-commerce businesses that have really great metrics already. And so because there's less funding available for a wider group of consumers, brands and founders are turning to alternative financing sources which are really taking hold so you know in the past 10 years kickstarter has become a really great resource for any founder starting out where they able to do crowdsourcing essentially from from their community to get like pre-orders for products before they launch that's still going on the other thing that's taken hold is what's called equity crowdfunding which is the ability for founders to actually sell equity, so stock in their companies, uh, to individual investors um, and then form kind of this larger kind of crowd group to make that investment. And I've seen dozens of food and beverage companies be extremely successful on that platform. I think, you know, one, there's a brand called Akua who makes a seaweed or kelp jerky and they are also expanding and expanding into kelp burgers so kind of um plant-based burgers and they just raised over a million dollars on equity crowdfunding fund platform and so i think that's been really great there's also inventory and in, or uh, like inventory revenue share companies where and you can actually they'll actually buy inventory your inventory for your production and then you pay them back kind of a fee for supporting that inventory purchase upfront. And so you're able to reduce the risk of making a large inventory purchase out of your own cash and free up cash flow. And you have to pay a fee on that, but you can do much larger kind of inventory and production runs if you bring on a new client or new customer. And so I think those like alternative financing areas are really, really big right now. And they're allowing companies to thrive in this time where money is really tight.
0: Wow. Yeah, I saw one of those two. It was actually CurlMix. And they mm-hmm. raised, I know, over a million dollars. I don't recall exactly how much they raised, but I know it was over a million dollars. Um, how do people get started with that? Because it's, it's when I hear it, it sounds complicated. Like, how would they actually get started?
1: You know, it's... The biggest thing to be successful doing equity crowdfunding is having a community, right? And so it's... they. The platforms themselves, there's a number of them, there's one called Republic, there's another one called Start Engine, and a few others. And they have investors kind of on their platform who are looking to find the next big thing. But they also rely on you bringing your own community to to the platform as well to become investors. And so what does that look like, right? If you're a brand who's just starting out and has like a couple customers and a hundred Instagram followers, you're not gonna be successful. But if you're able to build out a robust kind of social media following, people like you, they like your product, maybe you have 50,000, 100,000 Instagram followers, and a couple, you know, thousands of customers who are buying your product, but you're looking to elevate your brand to the next level, that's where it could be really successful when your customers are fans and advocates, and literally want part of your business because they love it so much that's where brands are really successful. And you know, you see this a lot with kind of our target group of minority and women-led companies who get have great products and great businesses but are held to a higher standard by investors or they just aren't even able to get those conversations with investors, but have a thriving community. They're able to leverage their the the support and the goodwill from their community who believes in them and use that to raise um, money. And so, you know, I was part of a a webinar the other day or listening in with Start Engine, and they were talking with, I think, seven different entrepreneurs who were all black owned founders who raised over a million dollars during equity crowdfunding when they were told no by other investors. Hmm.
0: Yeah, and I actually was reading an article and they were saying, it uh, was this company called Sweden tweeting, because I'm looking at re, re, uh, re- renovating our house here in Detroit. And it said that she was one of the only, one of few Black African-American women that raised over a million dollars. But I would, st- I'm starting to think that that's going to be less of a, less of a, like a unique thing of raising, of, of an African-American raising over a million because there's so many alternate funding sources right now. But in the past, like there's been very few um, people of color that have raised over a million dollars. Um, so it's, it's good to hear that there's some other options out there. But it does sound like you need to build a community before you can get to that point. I know Pearl Mix; they actually were on Shark Tank, so they were on National TV, and I'm sure they grew their audience by quite a bit just being on TV. Are there any other ways that people can fund their businesses other than just bootstrapping when they're first starting out?
1: Yeah, so I'm actually working on an article about this topic and you brought up a good point because um, Shark Tank is a really great way to build an audience and um, a a dozen of the companies that have had successful equity crowdfunding campaigns have actually been on Shark Tank. And so it's because they're able to get get an audience that way. But there there are other ways. So I think one for brands starting out, I do recommend doing like a Kickstarter campaign. Uh, because you're able to use that to generate momentum and interest from a community. It's still, the most successful campaigns are better when you have your own community that you can bring, but you can also use it to generate press and um, article mentions, which will bring on followers and investors there. You can get started for you know really under $1,000 in like production work and things. And I did a Kickstarter campaign for T-Squares. We only raised eleven thousand dollars but it allowed us to get you know hundreds of new supporters and fans who you know essentially were pre pre pre-ordering our product so that was really great and then from there kind of as you're building that audience would look into a number of kind of revenue sharing platforms so there's one called clearco where essentially you link it to like your e-commerce site and there's a minimum so you have to be doing maybe um about Eight to $10,000 a month in sales already. But once you do so, they'll actually say, they'll essentially give you an advance of money that you can use towards marketing and advertising. So, you know, maybe they'll give you uh, $50,000. And on that $50,000, there's like a $500 fee that you pay back. So it's not credit. You know, there's not interest that in accrues. You essentially just pay back that the amount that you get plus the fee and the flat fee. And you're able to use that money for growth. And so, if it takes you two months to pay back, it's still five hundred dollars. If it takes you a year, the payback is still five hundred dollars. And so, that provides a lot more flexible resources as you're kind of growing your business. And there's dozens of other tools like that. Um, you know, Shopify Capital has a program like there that Amazon does as well, and a number of others. And th- those are all in addition to you know your traditional like SBA loans and things like that. So, especially for any kind of CPG or like physical product good, there's lots of options out there now.
0: It sounds like it. A lot of stuff I hadn't heard of. So thanks for sharing that. So its I'm thinking, I, I, I know the answer to this question, but um, what do you think is the most difficult part of scaling your business?
1: The number one thing I hear is money. Yeah. And, you know, there's a founder of a company called I Want Organics, Mark Samuels, and he always says it takes about 10 times as much money as you think to build a successful company not double not triple 10 times and that's just because there's a lot of money needed to grow your your business quickly and then the other thing i would say though is also equally important is for founders to have a real clear vision on what they want to achieve for their business and why i just wrote a post about this you know You see headlines every day about companies who raise $10 million, $50 million, $100 million. You think like, wow, I want to be like them. But running a $100 million company is not for everyone. It's incredibly stressful and has its own set of challenges. And a lot of people would honestly be better off running a business with themselves or maybe like five people. And so it's really important for founders to really reflect on who they are and what they want and why, so that they can stay grounded on their own personal journey and don't get swept up into the hustle culture of today. Mm
0: -hmm. And do you also recommend they have a plan for exit? Because a lot of times uh, people will build their company and they have no idea what they're going to do once they get to a certain level. And then also in terms of like knowing what they want, they may want to like, you know, enjoy exiting and enjoy life and take the money, you know, and do something else. And so do you recommend they actually think about that in the beginning?
1: Yes. I always say to begin with the end in mind of what you actually want, because building a company that you want to exit with, and when the exit, right, sell it to maybe a strategic partner or do a IPO initial public offering and go on the stock market are really you know, the two ways that most founders exit, but I'll tell you both of those are extremely rare. And I hear so many founders talking about, hey, my goal is to grow the company and sell it in five years. That was my goal when I started with T Squares and we were talking with our team. But you make decisions that look a lot different. For instance, high growth companies overwhelmingly are not profitable, meaning they are losing money every single month. And not just like $100, they're losing tens and hundreds of thousand of dollars every single month and in order to maintain that growth where's that money going to mostly marketing spend in order to maintain that growth you have to bring in millions of dollars from investors and so that means your job as a ceo is constantly pitching investors trying to bring in money and oh by the way they're not just investors they become owners of your company and after a while it's not your company anymore it's this group's company, and you are one of the decision makers, but it's not yours. And a lot of founders don't really understand that starting out. They think, oh, I'll get you a million dollars, but that might mean you have to give up 30 or 40% of your company. Maybe 10% if you're lucky, but a lot of companies starting out with no traction um, and no record end up giving up a lot more equity. And equity is ownership, and if you don't own your company – then you might not be as satisfied with your day-to-day life. And so that's why I would say begin with the end in mind because knowing what it takes to sell a company at, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, a lot of people would choose not to do that, you know, and just for the their their own lifestyle. And so understanding that and how you want your day-to-day life to be is incredibly important.
0: Yeah, it, it might be better to have that small kind of family-oriented and family culture company versus this large company. Cause I, I, totally get it in terms of like, you know, getting to that point. And a lot of times you will hear, even like if people want to, if you want to get a loan or something, they don't want to look at your profit, but there's tons of companies that have been successful that haven't made money. You know, they, they didn't make money in the beginning. And you have to be able to have that vision that, okay, this is a good uh, value proposition or a good idea. And eventually you'll get there. And to your point, to, to get to those million impressions or those million eyeballs, you're gonna to need to spend money on marketing in order to get that awareness out there. And even to just like, you know, beef up the, the visuals of the products and things like that. But it's, you know, it's extremely, it's extremely hard to get to that point because everyone's, a lot of times they're focused on the profits. You know what I mean? How do you recommend, you mentioned marketing and how like a lot of the investment is gonna to go towards marketing. How do you recommend that companies approach marketing when they're first starting out? and Maybe when they're, you know, a little bit more established and when they're out there, they have the word out there and they need to grow.
1: This is one of my favorite topics. So for any company starting out, some people are familiar with what's called a marketing or a sales funnel. And for those who don't know, essentially it's a process for introducing your product to a potential customer, educating them, and eventually getting them to purchase. There's a couple different models, but I always think about it in terms of a five-step model where it goes from awareness to consideration, decision, loyalty, and advocacy at the bottom. And it's called a funnel because you might start with 100 people who see a Facebook ad for your product. Maybe only 50 people click on your link and go to your website. And out of 50 people, 10 of them buy and two of them buy a second time. And only one kind of tells their friends. So it's called a funnel because increasingly it gets narrower and narrower as you go down. Most founders, they will start at the top of the funnel and start spending money there, which looks like spending money on Facebook ads and Instagram ads and Google ads. And then ultimately they realize they're spending sometimes thousands of dollars and making no money on the bottom end. And that's because you can't bring in people by having a, what's called a leaky funnel, meaning you don't have everything else figured out in a way that's converting customers to actually making a purchase and then becoming a loyal customer. And so what I always recommend is spend your money from the bottom up, which means your goal should be everyone who purchases your product or a certain number Um, becomes an advocate, meaning they are telling their friends and their family that you have to try this product because it's the best thing that I've ever had. And figure out what you can do to do that. It could be education. It could be calling every customer so that they get to know you and your story and you're like really figuring out what their problem is that you're solving. Or it could even be like incentivizing them with free product to share it to other people. Like whatever that kind of automated process is or that process Figure that out first and then start working your way up to the funnel. There's no sense in sending Facebook traffic to your website if only 0.5% of the people actually convert to making the purchase. And that has to do with your images, your story, your checkout flow on your site. So, like, optimize all of that stuff first. So, maybe you're getting a 2.5% or 3% conversion rate. You know, for e commerce sites, they're always fairly low and then work your way up the funnel. Only after you figure out the bottoms up approach, then you start spending money on advertising because you want to know that a cert- for, you know for every person that clicks on your link from Facebook, you are converting a certain amount of those, and you're always trying to optimize each of those conversion rates. It's a lot cheaper to get an existing customer to buy a product a second time than to get someone who's never heard of you to buy your product
0: yeah yeah that's definitely a uh, counter to what most of the traditional marketing and marketing books recommend um i agree with you in, in, in a certain sense in terms of like really leveraging influencers and having your customers be advocates i do think though there's a possibility to create what we call a conversion funnel i know i've heard or read somewhere that you were looking at hubspot or talk to HubSpot and you bring in HubSpot for your, for the people in the community.
1: Yeah, we have a great great discount with HubSpot for those who work with us, Yep,
0: You get a a free account, did you say? Yeah, Um, it's a great, I'm sorry, did I?
1: No, yeah, we just have a 30% off discount for anyone who wants to use HubSpot.
0: Yeah, that's a good discount. Their whole philosophy is inbound. So there are approaches where you can create a conversion funnel. And essentially, you mentioned the, uh, the awareness, consideration, the advocacy phases. You can actually create content for each of the people along those in those different stages. So you think about what are your customers asking when they're in the awareness stage, and you actually create content around that awareness stage. What are they thinking about in the consideration stage? What are they thinking about in the loyalty advocacy stage? And essentially, you're giving them value, providing them information in order to move them through the funnel. And I think that could be a good approach too. Um, And it's more, it could be also more of a long-term strategy because that content could be evergreen and it's always producing traffic to your website. Because I think a lot of companies, and I might keep all of this in here, um, but I think a lot of companies are looking for more traffic to their website. And so a good way to do that is in addition to having maybe those influencers and those customers advocating for you to figure out how can you create content to drive more traffic to your website so
1: yeah i totally think that like content is a huge um benefit but right as you know like you have to have the hubspot stuff set up and the email flows and things like that in your process otherwise people see the content they'll be saying like oh this is interesting and move on you know, I always remember t squares when I was doing samples in the store. We had people come up to our table. They're like, hey, I saw your product on the shelf and I wanted to try it. And I thought it looked interesting, but I didn't buy it. And it wasn't until we actually were there in person with the sampling table that they actually bought it. And so just having the billboard for that customer, like, wasn't enough. Like they needed more um, down in the process. So that's when our sampling table, which is more of that consideration set, like because they could try it um, converted them to a customer.
0: Yeah. And I see that I think with, uh, products that you need to try and taste before you are convinced that totally makes sense. You might actually be influenced like to your point by another person that is in your network saying they love, they loved it or influencer. Um, we actually mm-hmm. spoke with Parks and Nash and they had a really, they have a really good approach to what they do. They actually use this uh, company called social nature, social nature, I think it's called. And what happens is you can actually subscribe to social nature and you get to try free product. So they actually sent me some coupons for Park, Parks and Ash and I was able to get two free samples. And it was, you know, they're great. it was great product. And so I definitely wanted to go back and get another another, another uh, resupply of Parks and Ash. Yeah. But the second time after the free product, you get a discount. The other great thing is that you have to write a review. And so I think reviews are so important. when You're buying online because since you can't taste it personally, you rely on what other people are saying. So yeah. they're spending on more so, you know, sampling programs that are, you're able to do it where you don't have to be in the store right now because to the COVID, a lot of people had to reinvent themselves when they're thinking about sampling. And this particular platform allows you to get like free samples of uh, mostly like natural products. So that's another great approach, but yeah, I think when it comes to marketing, you really have to um, have a holistic approach and really think about what kind of product you have because what is good for like maybe a B two B company might not be good for a B two C or a food and beverage company. What what are some of the common questions are, that people are asking? I can see you have a wealth of knowledge just based on your you know from all your entrepreneurial experience and a lot of golden nuggets that you're dropping right here that I'm sure everyone's going to be really interested in hearing, but are there any other common questions that you've been hearing from the companies you're working with?
1: One of the biggest questions that I get its a little broad in terms of the topic, but essentially is around who can I trust in the industry? Because when you're working with any partner, right, if you're working with a new marketing agency or new um, manufacturer, it's a relationship that you're building and everyone wants to really sell you, uh, you know, sell you the world. They're saying, I'm going to do this for your brand. I'm going to get you this many sales or I'll make this much of your product. And a lot of those relationships fall through, but when they fall through, they can cost you thousands of dollars. I think I've inadvertently kind of not wasted, but had about $30,000 in bad partnerships everything from a manufacturer who said that they could produce T-squares and they charge like an upfront fee to try it and everything and test day and they couldn't, right? They're supposed to be this large manufacturer and they couldn't actually make our product. So wasted a ton of money there.
0: They don't give the money? Back.
1: No, we don't get our money back. Okay. Because they they pay us for the time, which is we they pay us for like the test run mm-hmm. to figure out if they can do it or we pay them for that. Um, and at the end, they're like, can't do it. You know, you have to change some other things about your product. So, spend a lot of money on that, spent money on a a broker who said, "Hey, we can get your product into all these great like hotels and places." And I was like, "Excellent. There's going to be $3,000 a month." I'm like, "Okay, if you're going to get us sales at like high in the like great, we'll do it." And then oh, once we started, they said, "Well, it's going to take us about 5 or 6 months before you get your first sale." Of paying $3,000 a month. And so we just had to cut our loss and say, we can't afford five, six months of fees to get in. So anyway, all that to say, a lot of these relationships are not set up in the interest of founders. They're set up to kind of get money from them. And so I work with founders to really help them understand who are the best people that can help and who's the right partner for their budget. You know, I've talked to marketing firms who will do a project for You know the same kind of branding design for five thousand dollars or seventy five thousand dollars each has their minimum quality scale kind of varies based on the pricing but if you can't afford seventy five thousand dollars you shouldn't be talking with them and it's not going to maybe make that huge impact as you would think and so i really get to know the partners who come onto our platform and asking for feedback and reviews from other founders so that I can provide really great feedback and advice because having trusted partners and relationships is what's necessary to growing your business but it can also be the downfall
0: mm-hmm. so what you're doing now uh, what gives you energy what makes you get up every day and get excited about the day
1: I love helping people and I love talking to people. If you look at my schedule, essentially it's just talking to people all day long. (laughs) And that's what I love doing. And not just talking with them, but really sharing and helping them solve their problems. Because at the heart, like I'm a problem solver and love helping other people to get their problems solved and end up in a better place. And so I'm constantly talking with them to understand how I can help. And that's why I go into every conversation I go into I start with what's going on and how I can help. Um, And that's what really brings me joy and excitement of knowing that I can reach out and really make a difference in people's lives.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh, Excellent. So I definitely want to have you back here in about a year and hear about all your successes. But in the meantime, what's next for Food and where can we find you?
1: Yeah, so for anyone who's a food and beverage or even a health and beauty kind of company in the CPG space or any partners who want to join to help those companies, check us out at foodbevy.com. And you can learn more about joining our community and the resources available. And for those of you interested in um, trying out our products through our Good Food Brands box, you can buy one now at goodfoodbrands.org. And, you know, what's really next is helping our founders just be successful and, and grow. You know, I, I, I'm an idea person. And if it was up to me, I would probably have a hundred companies, but I came to the realization that I can't. And so instead I love just helping other people build their companies to be a success and to be part of their journey. And so I wanna have everyone who's a Foodbevy member be successful in their journey. And so that's what I'll be working on is initiatives and plans to enable them to do so.
0: Well, thank you, Jordan, for doing what you do. And we look forward to following you on social media and see what you're up to. And again, yeah, we want to have you back in about a year. So mark your calendar. But in the meantime, thanks for joining us. And we'll be in touch.
1: Let's do it. So thanks so much for having me on. I had so much fun.